Many of you perhaps have not realized that it's Boy Scouts Day. And Brother Bill is on his way to Eagle Scout. Is that right, Bill? <laughs> 105th anniversary of the Boy Scouts today. Isn't that something? All right. Yeah. We're in Numbers chapter 13. Last week we looked at how Moses has remarried Zipporah, Moses' first wife, has apparently died or passed away. So don't think for a minute that Moses is into polygamy. You know, one wife, and God's blessing is upon Moses' marriage. And Moses has married an Ethiopian woman. But Moses' brother and sister, now they have trouble with this marriage, <laughs> and they have issues against Moses uh, that he would marry a non-Jewish woman, take a non-Jewish woman as his wife, and so they begin to complain. When we become unhappy with someone, usually we will begin to find fault in that person. Now, I do not consider myself prejudiced, and I've tried to raise my children not to be prejudiced. But let me tell you about a, a young man nicknamed Rambo. I call him son. When we first moved back here to Alabama from California, he came on a visit. And he said something to me that I don't know where in the world he got it from. He wanted to see the Hawkins plantation. And I went, huh? <laughs> uh, he was sort of taken back when I began to explain his heritage to him, that we were basically poor white farmers, where if slavery were still in, in uh, place, we would probably work on a plantation. <laughs> but uh, his grandfather, my dad, worked in the ore mines of Birmingham. Not coal mines, ore mines. Now that goes way back. <laughs> and he was, uh, my son was taken back by the poverty of our family, of his ancestors. But he still remains biased, as far as I know, to this day. My other sons and daughter, uh, as far as I know, uh, are not biased or prejudiced in any way, shape, or form. But it makes you wonder why one out of my children is so willing to think he's above people or so willing really to hate because of color or culture. And it's alarming. After 9-11 here in, in America, I heard some Christians say some disturbing things regarding the Middle East. Things like, why don't we bomb them back into the Stone Age? Did you hear that one? <laughs> or turn that whole area into a sea of glass. And that concerns me. But I'm also concerned with our elected officials who cannot see that radical Muslims, whether we like it or not, they're at war with us. 
and the free world, and that disturbs me too. And recently we have France and Japan that have tasted of the terrorist killings of their own people. The beheadings, they're an offense to a civilized culture. And the execution by burning, it just shatters our uh, hope and faith in mankind. But let's move back to numbers. God has brought immediate judgment upon Miriam and Aaron, for as that goes, for their prejudice, words, and behavior concerning Moses' marriage. And we should let that be a warning to us as Christians. Keep your heart pure before God. Now, we've read the trials of Moses as we've went through Exodus and into uh, Numbers here and so forth. Uh, and how he was in line to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. And we saw how God took Moses through all these different trials and tribulations, and they taught him patience and humility. And when we read about Moses and how he wrote that he was the most humble man on earth, it's kind of, you know, wait, how can you write that, Moses? And because Moses and God had a, a relationship where they spoke to each other face to face, I'm sure Moses said something like this to God. You want me to write down, God, that I'm the most humble man on earth. Yeah, Moses, that's what I want you to write. Write it down, Moses, and you let me deal with the people who read it. God's word is truth. Whether it speaks well of us or whether it condemns us, God's word is truth. And God is faithful to give us the truth. And I'm so glad of that. Of everything I read, including commentators on God's word, I have blinders on. I'm wanting to know where they're coming from, where they were educated, what are their views on different things. But I can read God's word and just take it in with no, no blinders on, no qualifications. Just accept it and go with it. And that is a blessing. So let's look at chapter 13 of Numbers. And I'll read verses 1 through 8 here. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers ye shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were the names of the tribes of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, or Hosea, the son of Nun. God has called for Moses to send out spies into the land of Canaan. Check out this promised land that I'm going to be giving to Israel. And they're to go north, past the Sea of Galilee, 
through the mountains of northern Israel, up through Hebron and all that, back around to the east, cross the Jordan River, and then back down to the encampment at Kadesh. This is a 40-day trek that these spies are going on, and they're checking out the land uh, as, as for Moses' instruction. In verse 6, we have uh, Caleb being introduced to us. Caleb is 40 years old when he's called out to spy the land of Canaan. Verse 8, Hoshea, the son of Nun of Ephraim. Hoshea means salvation. And Moses changes Hoshea's name to Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. And then we skip down through verses 9 through 24 because this is just a different spies from the different tribes, and I'm not going to try to pronounce all of their names. So let's pick it up in verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and they said to him, to them, Go up this way into the south, and go up into the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or there are not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they came up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahimon, Shishai, and Talmai. That's close enough. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron, or Hebron rather, was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. We have here these spies going out with Moses' instruction, and they're to look over the land and see what the land is like. Are the people weak or are they strong? What are their cities like? Are they walled cities? Are they fortified cities? Are they just simple villages? The spies are to bring back some of the produce of the land. And we read how they brought back one cluster of grapes carried on a staff between two men. Now, we've all attended children's church, and we've had pictures of this. That's a big cluster of grapes that you have two men to carry one cluster of grapes. <clears throat> and we hear Moses tell the spies in verse 20, only be of good courage. Be of good courage. When Joshua takes over as the leader of Israel, he is told to be strong and courageous, 
three times in the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1. Three times the Lord tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. There's times when I'm not very proud of myself, when I don't like myself a whole lot, and that's when I have took a cowardly approach. Took a cowardly approach to critical issues or what I know is truth and maybe remain silent. I don't like me a whole lot when I do that. The spies, they come back to Moses and they have mixed accounts. So let's look at verses 26 through 33. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Then we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their in our own sight and in their sight also. Twelve spies go out. Ten spies come back and give a faithless, cowardly report. They say the land truly does flow with milk and honey, and Canaan is a beautiful agriculture farming area. But nevertheless, oh, (laughs) disregard all that you've heard before. Nevertheless, the people are strong, the cities are fortified and large, and the descendants of Anak live there. Anak, the son of Arba. Anak was the father of the race of giants called the Anakims. Now, the archaeologists have dug... Uh, in this area, and they have excavated what they call proof of these giants. They have found homes, and they have found houses that had doorways 13 feet high. And they found where they slept, their beds matched the 13 feet in length. So there was a race of giants there without a doubt. Goliath, you remember David and Goliath? He, Goliath was a descendant of Anak. But the Anakim giants were not only violent, 
they were evil. And all we have to do is go back to the battle between David and Goliath and how Goliath calls for the, uh, the children of Israel uh, to come out and fight with him. And Goliath blasphemes Israel as a people. But we have the overwhelming majority of spies, 10 out of 12, and they give a bad or they give what we call an evil report. And it's a report of fear, not faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We have ten reports come back that the inhabitants of the land, they're too strong and they're stronger than we are. And then they give it a little graphic illustration. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. As a Christian, as a believer, we are never to make decisions based on fear. Fear clouds the mind. Fear muddies the water. Uh, There are people out there that make profit on fear sells. They will sell you a bill of goods because they try to create a fear in you. The doomsday suppliers try to create fear in us to sell us their food supplies, to sell us their underground fortresses, and so forth. You can even see fear being used in your retirement plan. They tout how you don't want to get old and not be able to live the life that you want to live, so you best invest in our 401k or whatever, and they use fear to sell you a bill of goods. Now, we live here in the South. Well, most of us do. Some of you don't. <laughs> and we understand that tornadoes come through this area. And there's nothing wrong with being prudent, having a good food supply around, or maybe an energy source available. A little cash doesn't hurt either. Always have a little cash. But we're not to react with fear. And so you go look on the global scene, and we have ISIS. And there are other terrorist groups out there, and they're trying to scare the world into submission. And they use barbaric executions of their prisoners as a great fear tactic. And when we have a passive nation like France, that leads the way in opposing these terrorists, it makes you wonder, when is the rest of the world going to stand up to these fear mongers? Most of us think ISIS is far away in the Middle East, in Syria and so forth, and they're not a real threat to America. I heard one army general say this, and I, I really appreciated it. He says, better that we fight terrorism over there than here. And I like that thinking. Go to their backyard and fight terrorism. Enough of that. But Caleb, he comes back, he gives a good report, and Caleb is one of my heroes of the Old Testament. I like Caleb. 
Caleb, he quiets the people. He calms them down. And he says, by the way, let's go up and take possession of the land right now, for we are able. We're able to overcome these people. That's Caleb's report. But the ten cowardly spies, there are more persuasive than Caleb and Joshua. And they cause the people to be greatly afraid. There comes a time in every Christian's life, a time when we are to be strong and of good courage. And I believe we live in a world today where that's required of us as Christians, required to be strong and of good courage. America has been privileged to avoid persecution as Christians for, what, 200 years or whatever, 200 plus years? But being a Christian in the past, and in particular the early church, was a way of life. When Rome ruled the world during the early church time, for life to be pleasant, you had to swear allegiance once a year to Caesar. And this was done by simply offering a little pinch of incense and saying before witnesses, Caesar is Lord. Or Caesar is God. Now, many Christians of that day would justify saying this little allegiance thing, and you might say that well, they had their fingers crossed, or it was a little tongue in cheek, meaning I'll say it, but I don't really mean it. And that was an easy, cowardly way out. But nobody persecuted you if you went before the magistrates and said this. But refusing to swear allegiance to Caesar meant you were a troublemaker. And you would be ostracized. And you, and you would not be able to get a good job. And uh, the business community wouldn't have anything to do with you because you weren't one of them. So how does that relate to us? Within a few days, our Supreme Court here in the United States is to decide on same-sex marriages. Now, the tone has already been set by lower court justices and judges by their liberal rulings declaring it's unconstitutional to forbid same-sex marriages. That offends me as a Christian. It offends me that our Supreme Court would be forced to make a ruling on sinful behavior. They're forced to. I have legitimate concerns that same-sex marriages will become the law of the land. I think we're fighting a battle there that we're not going to win. I wish it weren't true. I pray that it isn't true, but I fear that it will be true. They kept putting that on the California 
agenda, the voting agenda, what do they call it, propositions. Same-sex marriage has been defeated like the last three or four elections, but there always comes up a judge in California that says, no, no, that's not constitutional. You can't forbid them. So I have concerns. Let me say this very plainly. Same-sex marriages is an affront to God who has already declared that a marriage is supposed to be between one man, one woman for life. God said that. Mike Huckleby, who was in our area recently, he was asked by a news reporter his view on same-sex marriage. His reply, the Bible has already spoken on this issue, and God says marriage is to be one man and one woman. It made me respect Mike Huckleby a little more. I don't think he has a chance to win the election, but I still like him. <laughs> but why are we surprised by the same-sex marriage thing when the Supreme Court that this is to go before has already ruled that a woman has a right to kill her unborn child? <laughs> Now, I understand when you speak to a group, even as many as are here today, excuse me, is here today, you're probably talking to someone who's had an abortion. The good news is abortion is a sin and abortion is forgivable just like any other sin. Jesus died to give us forgiveness of our sins. And for that, we say, thank you, Lord. But our God is gracious. He's loving, and he's willing to forgive us, any of us that call upon his name and ask for forgiveness. But it remains troubling in America to see sinful behavior being promoted under the dark cloud of constitutional rights. A constitutional right to sin is nothing more than a ploy of Satan to remove the guilt of sin by making sin legal. It's appalling that our nation, known as a Christian nation by many people, promotes sinful behavior through our Constitution. That troubles me. We'll look more at Caleb and Joshua next week. Uh, I, I really appreciate those two guys. But let me urge you to be praying for our Supreme Court in the ruling they're about to make. Be praying for our justices that God will grab their heart and cause them to do what is right, to make godly decisions not what they call necessarily constitutional decisions. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, sometimes I can't help but think we're in the crossroads of, of our destiny. What are we going to do as America?
What kind of laws are we going to pass? Are we going to pass another sinful law and make it legal to, to sin against you? Forgive us, Lord, as a people. Forgive us as a nation for the way we have drifted away from your standards. How we have turned your, our backs on your commands. Lord God, I would pray that America would rise up and once again become a godly nation and do right. Right before you, Lord. Not right before words that are written and their interpretation of those words in our Constitution. Lord God, if possible, save America. Lord, if we haven't gone too far, redeem us. Forgive us of our sin against you. We pray for this, Lord. Do a great thing in America. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.